Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Hello again. It's been a while. Some housekeeping, and that's ripped straight from Sam Harris's podcast. Uh, we have a, a female coaches networking event, and that is going to be on Friday, the 15th of November. The venue uh, and finer details to be confirmed, but if you're a female coach in the area and you want to come along, just hold that date in your diary and keep an eye on the Liverpool FA website and socials for more information. So this one, I've been meaning to get back into uh, recording a few more episodes and getting them out there for a while now. Uh, I actually took a day off and came over to the Isle of Man for the weekend to visit some family and friends, put a post out on Facebook, scrounging for a free round of golf, and then two minutes later, an old friend and colleague, uh, Trevor Christian, got in touch and badgered me to to come on his Isle of Man Sport podcast. Now, Trevor is about six foot six, an 18 stone slab of pure muscle. So he's not the sort of person that you say no to. Um, And I thought, well, I've got a few hours to kill. I'll come down and see Trevor. And uh, we had a catch up over a coffee and just recorded a conversation. So we get into some discussions about um, sporting experiences, importance of that youth development phase we talk about different sports and ngbs and what their qualifications look like in terms of the content and how it's delivered and i I start to grill trevor on some of his experiences and what they're doing over on the isle of man in terms of coach development so a bit of a random one this but hopefully you'll enjoy it and take something from it so without further ado i give you trevor christian so hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 7 of the Isle of Man Sport podcast. Uh, today we are very lucky to have a guest from overseas, but who originated from this fair isle, <laughs> Mr Jack Walton. Jack, welcome, how are you? How are you Trev, good to see you. You, uh, you collared me. I was on, on the scrounge for uh, a, a cheap round of golf this afternoon, given I've come over for a flying visit to see some family and friends put a message out on Facebook to see if anyone can get me a free round at Rowney Golf Club and then two minutes later I'm agreed to come and do a podcast <laughs> with you which wow. kind of sums up the way that things happen over here doesn't it I guess absolutely it's yeah. the, you know, the, the benefits of social media well for me in particular but <laughs> no it's good actually I was at a loose end so it's nice to um, to fill the uh, the morning with, with something productive and it gives me a good excuse to, to get something out on the, on the Liverpool FA podcast as well, which I've been quite dormant with for a while now. Ah, come yeah. on, two beers at once. Exactly, time. exactly. Super. So, so, Jack, just for our listeners, can you, you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what your sort of work roles have been and uh, where, what you're up to today? Um, well, today, like I said, is just a uh, you know flying visit. Um, just had a good day at St George's yesterday, actually, with our... Mm-hmm. FA education department um, looking back on the last year and looking forward for the next three or four years so that was that was good we can go into that I guess uh, as the conversation goes um, but yeah I realised that 
uh, I'm long overdue with a cuddle with my niece, so I need to, <laughs> to come over and uh, see some of the family and, and get back. It's easy to get lost over over there and and forget, you know, you know, you've still got family to to come and see. So, um, what do we what do we say? Roles and so what was your, yeah, what was your journey in sport? I suppose and like uh, how you got into sport, how you ended up working in sport, and sort of cool. how it's got you to where you are now. Um, well. I, as I constantly get reminded by by the, the lads I knock about with in Liverpool, the football team, um, I was a very fat young child. <laughs> so in primary school, I was, it was I was very overweight. And as the the lads keep uh, bringing up old photos that they somehow dig up, that get sent to them. Um, so sport, uh, I wasn't. Uh, I guess at primary school, I wasn't particularly sporty all round. Although we did play a lot of football. Um, and then I would say what got me into it really was uh, Castle Russian High School. I can remember, I can remember the first day. I can remember so much so clearly. But we were we were really 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 lucky um, to have at the time when we started two incredible male role model PE teachers. In fact, the whole PE unit were were brilliant at, at Castle Russian. So we had Guy Smith was head of PE and yeah. Neil McGregor. Um, was his was also working in the department, and then you had um, Sue Messenger headed up the the girls' side. But so you had a, yeah. a, a team of PE staff there who, when I look back, were just unbelievable in, in terms of what they did for us. I think when we were in about year nine, Cliffy Dunn then came and joined. So you you take those three, and for those that know know those three people, they are. Um, they're, they're incredible human beings who I owe personally a, a massive debt to and, yeah. and I've, I was talking to somebody about this recently because they would go to so many lengths to open doors and opportunities for us literally so every single morning the, the school bell would ring at nine but someone would be there from say 8.15, 8.30 to, to open up the sports hall and open up the, um, the cupboard that had all the basketballs in and every single morning you would have dozens of kids from year seven right the way up to year 13 out practicing their free throws, playing 1v1 in the sports hall. So, you know, that, that, you know there's one example. They would make sure that, um, ev- I think back to year, say year, the boys I coach now are year 11, so uh, under 16s. Every single day of the week we would do sport. So it would be, whether that be PE and games, which is your kind of formal, Hours a week, but it, but then you to bookend that you would have every single lunchtime there would be some form of activity on, and then if you weren't if you didn't have a fixture there would be some sort of after school club, and then a good example of that would be in year eleven, uh, we had a real a bit of a freak outlier year group from what I can remember at school. So there was quite you know we had the British high jump champion Martin oh, Aaron, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> So yeah, we, we, it was really good in your basketball team, and yeah, we we, um, we had we had a really freakish year group who were just so into all sports, not just one. And I remember at year eleven, so it's GCSE year, but the PE staff noticed that we'd done um, we'd done volleyball in GCSE PE, and they noticed that we were really keen on this. So the the three of them rounded up another three teachers to come and play on a Friday lunchtime, come and have a game of volleyball. So they, they would just literally, they would do so much to, um, to open up opportunities for us to, to play and enjoy sport. Yeah. And I guess that that is a long-winded way of kind of 
saying how you know how did I get into sport? Well, you know yeah. that, that, that those school experiences combined with the club, you know, as at Colby, yeah. as a youngster, right the way through my uh, through my youth years, and it, it's just. It's crazy to think how much sport we used to play. Well, it's really interesting you say that, uh, especially with regards to, to Castle Russian. We had Phil Kringle on mm. one of our previous episodes on the podcast. Right. And again, he, he, he had uh, nothing but great things to say about those three gentlemen yeah. as well. And, you know, I haven't been down there myself uh, in my athletics development officer's days. I got invited to do some discus work with them, and I saw firsthand at lunchtime what happens at the school. Yeah, and you know, the, every PE teacher was there delivering some aspect of athletics, and there was like tons of kids mm. getting down there and and, and and getting real focused help on. Yeah, uh, on the technical side of athletics because it can be quite technical, but it looked like they were having absolutely loads of fun as well. Yeah, and yeah. I, look, I didn't realise the impact of this until I until I moved away. I just thought that that's the norm and I guess you know over here what I've learned is we're blessed with facilities and, and space and land there's not many schools in inner city Liverpool that have the sort of you know, you know space and fields that that yeah. we had when we were growing up in that school but oh it's <laughs> all right um, who is it Olivia okay so um, we we were we were blessed in terms of facilities but um, it was only when I when I moved across ten years ago that I realised, you know, speaking to, to teammates, you know, did what did you, you know, about their school experiences, yeah. and it was literally uh, nothing but football, it, it, all the way through, it, maybe the odd other sport, but I, I was kind of counting up the number of sports that we were exposed to, and the way I measured it was kind of you, you had to have done it for half a term or more, mm-hmm. so at least six weeks. Um, counts as kind of ticking it off yeah. and I think I got up to about 14, 15 different sports Crikey that's brilliant to be able to sample that many sports Yeah yeah, but not, I guess not even yeah. just sample but actually do it you know over yeah. a, I guess this extended period of time so having a go at it and you know this ties back into what we were doing at St George's Park yesterday we got some um, a really interesting presentation from Dr Kate Baker who heads up our player insights and they've been doing all sorts of research into the developmental pathways of all of the current England squad, uh, the first team squad right the way down to say the under 15s right. and you know you won't be surprised to hear that there's a, there's a fair amount who are playing other sports so athletics actually features most prominently in terms of the support sport yeah. or other sports that those players have, have taken part in during their during their developmental pathway, you know, and for me that, that it, I guess given that we played so many sports, it, it, you know, I've got no excuse to actually. I should have made it as a good player. <laughs> Anyone that knows played with me or against me will know that that's yeah. you know that's not the case. But it was you know it was just a great introduction into yeah. something that has for me will has and will stay with me for the rest of my life. Fantastic, and that's what you know PE is about, isn't it? Physical education is mm. about giving you that start in life so that you can fall in love with physical activity and take that through the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it was, uh, it it made me laugh because I actually went full circle after I graduated, did some work out in the States and I, I moved back to the island when I was about 23. Um, 
to pay off some student debts mm -hmm. and to just get some experience really I ended up going back to work at Castle Russian right. as an education support officer so ba basically we were really short of teachers at the time so it would be covering maybe three four lessons a day yeah. um, but I got obviously involved with with the sport and the PE because I'd done some coaching qualifications at that point mm -hmm. and you get to know you got to see the different the, from the other side so how the PE teachers work yeah. and they used to have uh, and it's great they used to have this thing against some of the other schools where they would kind of compete so Castle Russian would play Ramsey for say and there would be a competition to see who could like put the most teams out so if, you could, if at year seven if you, yeah. you could get a Z team out then, then brilliant so in other words it wasn't just about and this is what I found across often it is it, it, you go for trials for your school team mm -hmm. at the, in September and if you don't make it into the school team that's kind of in, from what I hear most cases a closed shop so your opportunity to develop as a footballer in your school not, I'm sure not always but oftentimes sounds limited that's whereas given the, the space um, or the, the, you know the, there's less pitch constraints over here if anyone showed any interest in playing sport what they would do is there would be no kind of discrimination against ability everyone would play and represent the school if you turn up and work hard and go to training mm -hmm. and that it's those it's not just the, the sport stuff I think that those guys you know should be commended for it's actually the the life skills and the, the values the deeper stuff that you know, sure. we learn through that mm. yeah yeah I mean I was exposed to that through uh, Neil McGregor myself playing Ireland schools rugby and Keith Pote yes. at the time and yeah. then again you know Guy Smith when I, I got exposed to Guy because I went to Balakameen as uh, an athlete and he would take the team to the Merseyside championships yeah. county championships so you know the real gentleman I think is, is, is the word I would give yeah. for all of them yeah. real Valued gentlemen, yeah, you know. firm and fair though as yeah, well. You know, they sure. they were very principled. You know, I'm talking about them like the dead here. Still very much like <laughs> kicking. Sorry, guy, but you know, really principled people, yeah. and you knew where you stood. And if you if you put the effort in, wow, did you get the re yeah. the rewards back? But if you did step out of line, you soon you yeah. soon knew about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what? How did you? Uh, Develop then into working into sport. How, how did you, how did you get into well into that sort of career? Well, believe it or not, I um, I picked. I never actually picked PE in my A levels. I can remember this now. Uh, I think my my parents were kind of at odds over what to to do mm -hmm. uh, at A levels, and um, I didn't actually pick PE. And I, I think I went to two weeks worth of. AS level IT lessons and thought I can't I can't deal with this and went groveling on my hands and knees to Guy and said look any chance I can switch over yeah fortunately yes that led to getting some good grades and um, a a spot opened up in clearing to go to Loughborough I applied for a straight sports science degree which yeah. is like the most oversubscribed degree in the country absolutely yeah. especially at Loughborough yeah. as well didn't, yeah. didn't get the grades unsurprisingly yeah. but they offered me which I didn't even realise this course existed. It was um, it was sports science and physics, mm -hmm. and I actually really enjoyed physics because I had an amazing teacher in Jeff Cork, who was uh, you know you think about teaching and coaching and just good principles of teaching. That guy is just incredible. I still remember, and I was talking to somebody recently about this 
some of his lessons and how the way that he taught in so that things would be memorable and you were involved in the learning process rather than just being yeah. talked at. So in a real effective learning oh, environment for am people. Amazing, yeah. yeah. I can still remember his lesson on the difference between the speed of light and the speed of sound now. Having us banging <laughs> bricks together on over the opposite sides of the Castle Russian sports field and timing the difference. But you know, the, he was an is an incredible teacher, uh, an amazing person. So yeah, that that kind of led me down to to go into Loughborough and um, it was kind of like a uh, it was it was it was a tough environment I found to deal with early on because you'd come from the kind of relative goldfish bowl of the Isle of Man to suddenly in a, you know a real elite sporting environment yeah. where um, and it, you, you know couple that in with leaving home having to make new friends literally not knowing yeah. a, a single person there in this kind of can be a hard transition for from an island life to uh, yeah. yeah to across the pond can't it yeah it, yeah definitely and the funny thing was I found myself like really missing the sea <laughs> the first time I, I, I realised I'd, I'd missing the sound of seagulls believe it or not but yeah, um, yeah it was it was um, it's an amazing place an amazing university I having just come through a, a a, a master's degree I've realised that at that point in my life and I, I, th I dare say it, a lot of 18 year olds lives I wasn't mature enough mm -hmm. to, to study at that level and to to do what you need to do to give a degree of full justice there's plenty yeah. of kids that are but I'm not sure for everyone that's, that's the road but at mm -hmm. the time that was just the done thing it was like right you're finishing A levels what university are you going to? It wasn't. There was no question that you, anybody was going to do anything other than go to university at, at that time. Don't know if it was like that when when you were at school. Well, uh, similar. Well, I didn't expect to go to university. Uh, I was like bottom set English for GCSEs, and had to really work to get that C yeah. on the lowest paper to go on to do A levels. Did A levels. Did PE. First cohort of Balakamine to do it. So there were expectation-wise, it was quite low, I suppose. Uh, the chemistry as well and business uh, applied to Loughborough, yeah. but the, the expected grades I got, they refused me. Yeah. So I went to John Moore's in Liverpool. All right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was not expecting to go to uni. It was like a brucey bonus if I got the grades to go, and you know, I did, I did all right. You know, I got some pretty good A levels, and uh, it sort of opened the door to me, uh, which. Growing up with my council estate in Annika was not really on the horizon at that mm. time, you know, as, as a kid. So, uh, yes, and like you say, going back about how mature you are when you go as an 18 year old, I probably wasn't, and I really struggled. Mm. Uh, the first year wasn't so bad. Second year, when you moved out of halls and you were living in some absolute hovel of a house <laughs> in Off Smithdown Road, yep. Liverpool, uh, where the oven didn't even work properly. <laughs> Uh, so, so all of a sudden, it, it, it was pretty horrible. I nearly, I nearly quit in the second year. I nearly pulled out. Right. Uh, so, and then I thought, developed a bit of resilience somewhere and, and stuck it out and come out the other side. But you're right. I think if I went at age 22 or 23, having had a bit of life experience, realised what the real world's like when you got to go out there and work. Yeah. My new world has worked anyway. Uh, it would. I think. I think I probably, probably would have been in a better place mentally to to really get the most out of it yeah so uh, i guess we because what age are you now uh, 40 last yeah, week, so you, yeah yeah four four years above me we kind of timed things a little quite right in a good sense in terms of you know 
by the time we graduated, sports development roles were becoming the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I guess there wasn't really anything. I didn't. I, I had no idea when I went to university what I was going to do with my degree. All I knew was I like sport. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, and I'm going to study something that I'm keen at. I probably should. You know, I'm more likely to get better grades if I study something that I enjoy doing. Absolutely. And, and there was no plan. I guess there still isn't really, you could argue, but, yeah. <laughs> well, I say, yeah, sports jobs were scarce on the Isle of Man, weren't yeah. they? The development had only just really come about then. I think when I graduated and when you graduated, it was probably... It was Dave Tees and Johnny Epifani when I first yeah. graduated, and then obviously Paul Brideson and yeah. Aaron, and, uh, Aaron Quinn came into that uh, fold as well, and Emma Callow, so... Yeah. Uh, and it's it's grown exponentially since then. Yeah, and and likewise likewise across. You know, I look at the when I joined the FA in two thousand and eleven, Christmas two thousand eleven, the whole technical division that includes uh, medics, physios, admin staff, uh, national coaches, grassroots regional coaches of which in in my team there were eight of my role another uh, another eight of a of another role i think the whole grassroots division was or sorry the whole technical division was 80 staff right and now the whole technical division is i think around 350 Crazy. so in in um in nine years in eight years the the investment into to football facing uh, coaching, coach development roles is just you know yeah. it, it, it's it's good to see it's being valued and you know hopefully the the, the impact is now being being felt. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was your first role on the Isle of Man? I suppose in, in, in a development role. Um, I so I was yeah I was at the high school covering the lessons. Had my year ten tutor group. It was great. And then a, a role came up with the Isle of Man FA as a. Um, at the time, it was a women's and girls football development officer. So it was a, it was a small, small team, and I was in, encouraged to apply for it. I think I'd just completed my UEFA B license at the time, had some education mm-hmm. uh, experience. Um, so there was, you know, it was, an, it was, a, it was a good, fortunate timing. So fortunately, got that, got that role, and then it was much more focused around grassroots clubs uh, and schools. Developing opportunities for for girls to play, yeah. and funnily enough, we've just seen the mum, one of the mums <laughs> of one of the kids that I, the first kids that I ever coached, because I was hand, quite hands on in that role. Yeah. One of the things we set up was a, a development centre for girls, um, for uh, girls to re- represent the island, at, you know, tens, twelves, fourteens, sixteens, and then create a pathway into the the national women's team. And uh, I remember she was in the first under 12s group, it was, which was the group that I coached. And her mum was just showing me first. She's now 23. I can't, I can't <laughs> believe it. But it's. Um, you feel really old. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's great to, to hear and to, you know, I still see that some of those, some of those girls that started back then, at, which would have been 11, are now playing for the senior team. And, and I think they just had a good summer, didn't they? Did they? Would they win? The did they win the Island Games, the ladies? I think so. I think the, the Island Games went to. Uh, it wasn't in the Island Games, no. so they had a separate That's tournament right. in Anglesey. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure they well, I saw some stuff online anyway, and, uh, and I, I saw the team photograph and just went, yep, yep, yep. And it was, it was so uh, inspiring to see that, you know, there's players that are still playing the game and, and, and playing it well. Yeah. 
you know, 12, 13 years after you've, you know, the, hopefully they were given an opportunity to play. Oh, it's fantastic um, to see the fruits of your labour sort of. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying it was on me at all, it would have happened anyway, but it's yeah. just, it's really, it's, I guess it's the best part of the job of a coach is to see that long term mm -hmm. development, and especially when they're still in the game as, a, as adults. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, and whether it's representative for Ireland or whether it's playing yep. locally, you know, it's, it's keeping people in sport, isn't 100%. it? Is key. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was the first role. It was I think I was in that role eighteen months or so, and then my manager at the time, you remember Andy Wadsworth, very yeah, friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. Andy. He was our partner in crime. At yeah. The last I think it might be the last time I saw you when we went to that Ocean Colour Scene gig in Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he moved across to to West Riding up in Leeds, and then. Um, yeah, I moved into his role to kind of manage the football development team over here for I think about another 18 months before the, the role at Liverpool came up and that was kind of too much of an opportunity to miss then because I, 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 I thought well this seems to be my career path football development yeah. um, but the real my real passion at the time was um, was coach development or coach education because uh, I think there is there is a difference so it, at the time, myself and Paul were, were delivering level one qualifications yeah. over here, and it was I learned so much from him. It was, I mean, again, very lucky, right time, right place to have a mentor like that, yeah. someone so experienced to kind of guide me through. So when the, the role came up at Liverpool, it was, you know, for me a no-brainer career-wise because it just opened up ten times the amount of opportunity to go out and work with coaches yeah. uh, in a, in an educational environment which is what I still enjoy doing the most yeah. really yeah um, so what's uh, so you mentioned there about the difference between coach education and coach development so mm. how, how would you describe the, the key differences there I'll probably get shot down here by <laughs> the, the, the academics but the way I see it is that you know coach, coach education is you're, it's a means to an end so there's a qualification there that your um, your job is to help the learner attain mm -hmm. um, coach development is is an ongoing process it might be in a, in a mentoring capacity uh, you know the there is perhaps no end in sight yeah we've muddied the waters a little bit which I'm quite pleased about because we we now go out to see and as as happens over here coaches working in their own environment so we don't have too many times where as you'll have known on, on coaching courses where the the adults are running around well behaved for one, for one another yeah um, but then struggle to deal with you know the reality of parents and misbehavior and all, all the all the other things that I guess get in the way of yeah. what the coaches want to do which is to try and help the players get a little bit better absolutely I mean the course can be quite a sterile environment can't it and yeah uh, to, a, to a degree and like, as you say there the you're not generally working with players on the course uh, and, and the challenges that get thrown at you can be coming at you from all angles as well yeah and that's something that we've tried to change mm. and be a bit braver in terms of well you know it, it, so I'm a big believer in club based courses I think there's, there's tremendous value in that in having a group of coaches who are who should have a common purpose for their club mm -hmm. in their own environment and coaching their own players in an educational environment in a kind of as realistic as you can make it and that's something that we've we've tried to do uh, across and there's a, there's a number of coaches around the country who've 
latched onto this and embraced it. Okay. Um, and it, it does provide some really, you know, good experiences and good talking points to to mould a course around the training and playing environment of a club. Um, not not practical or feasible or possible everywhere. I get that, but yeah. um, it's something that we, we've tried to do. And 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 even when that's not possible, just you know, bringing in players to a yeah. you know a, a, you might you might be on a, a coaching course, say for example, a rugby coaching course. Well, what's to stop you, you know, having your players come in, mm-hmm. take part in a session that you might put on yeah on on course. Interesting so. that you said that. I li- literally a year or so ago, did my England rugby coaching awards. Right. right? level two they go straight in at that um, Chris Brannigan the, the local rugby development officer he did just that he brought in players from his uh, developing player programme yeah. so we could use them uh, due, due, during the session and it mass- had a massive impact on, on how what you got out of that session then yeah. you know what I mean because you could you, you were doing real coaching on, on the actual course with real real people real young people yeah. who respond how young people respond uh, <laughs> it, it kept you honest it wasn't someone who, who perhaps knew the answers who, who might have just been sort of playing along in a role to to, to make it easy yeah. for you you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. so, so you, you've probably had given your role you've probably had exposure to a really wide range of NGB coaching awards now I would guess uh, surprisingly no, the, the, the main ones I've done have come through athletics. Right, I've uh, come through rugby as well. So, what what have been some of the uh, the best sort of coach ed learning experiences that you've had then over the last over the time that you've been involved in it? Okay, so the best sort of coach education. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the the rugby one. Yeah, probably one what was it? Level ones. Did you did. Say? They have what's called an IRCA, an England Rugby Coaching Award now. Yep. So they've got away with from level ones and level twos. Uh, and it's basically your how to coach skills so it's giving you what you need to be able to go out there and create a good environment for the for the participants yeah. uh, understand how to communicate observe and analyze and uh, uh, pr- provide an opportunity for the play so is that are they the core skills feedback. so yeah uh, how is that taught then what's the format mm. so the format for, for, for the IRCA uh, making me think now uh, it was very much around it wasn't content driven right it wasn't massively you would have like some of the key things that you're looking to try and develop but they, they, they would have set it up so you've got a, a game zone and a skill zone yeah so you'd be doing game based learning setting problems with different games to bring about the different skills that you're trying to uh, get across to the players okay. without you actually giving uh demonstrations all the time uh, and trying to set scenarios Uh, and then from that you could see how they were responding to it and where they might be struggling in a certain area you'd have a different zone set up which would be your skill zone yeah so in your skill zone you set up uh, a particular activity that might break down that game zone skill in a slightly more not necessarily drill orientated yep. but a, a smaller more concentrated version of, of the game you were just playing I see so that you could pick, pick up those skills okay. uh, whether it's body positions for rooking uh, whether it's a, a, a sort of easier version of a passing game so that you could go back into the main game and, and sort of then you, you could see those skills yeah and, and so within that group of people that you had on the course then was it sort of context specific so in other words was it all mini rugby or did you have 
some coaches who took the little ones right the way up to the adults like what's the sort of makeup of the of the coaches and that'll lead on to the sort of next question then ah right uh, well the makeup of the coaches we had uh, a mixture a lot of them were, were probably working with a range of, of age groups yeah. at their clubs the age group we had there with us to actually use within the session as well as ourselves yeah. was uh uh, probably about under under fourteen, under fifteen age group. Right. Uh, so we're working with those. So, in terms of the context, I suppose it was more aimed at that. that so, particular so age like group. one of the, what would be an example of one of the games then that they taught you on the course? Uh, so you might be. We, we did all non-contact. Yep. So we were doing. Touch, so like tag. Touch rugby. Yeah. yeah. Tag rugby. Uh, so and we would pop in lots of different rules to uh, work on different. Uh, aspects of the game so you'd have principles of play yeah so let's say our principle of play was go forward don't move that to it. <laughs> it was yeah. go forward how could we manipulate the game to allow lots of go forward so so, pen- so in football we would call that yeah. penetrating yeah mm-hmm. so what would be so how would you condition the game to then bring that out uh, so like for instance you could say right you could have a sniper rule so right let's say everyone had like a number yeah uh, one to eight who have many in your team and someone on the other team could shout eight and whoever that number eight was on the opposition dro- on the opposition had to drop like they were <laughs> shot by a sniper ah, okay so then it would create a space so a for, for someone to run at you know what ah. i mean and just lots of different innovative ways of trying to put rules in that could make it harder or you could say right uh the first touch you can carry on running so you have you have to get touched twice oh i see yeah, okay yeah before you have to pass the ball yeah. or, or it gets turned over uh, so what then happens is you might get two players very quickly trying to come and tackle that player with two touches so the flip side of that is if there's two players on that player you've created spaces elsewhere yeah so that enables an offload forward for an offload yeah uh, oh. so as well as creating the pressure of having to pass the ball you know whilst players are coming at you I like it uh, so you know the and, you can make up the different rules. You can give people superpowers. What? What? So, what would that do? Uh, so, uh, again, a superpower. Say, you give someone a hat or a headband. Yeah. And you, you, you sometimes you might not tell the opposition right what the superpower is, and they've got to figure out how they're going to do it. And it could be he's allowed to go offside, so he could go and run up in the goals at the goal area. Yeah. And have the ball kicked to him or something like that. I see. Yeah. So you try to encourage more footwork and stuff like that, or you might throw footballs or different shaped balls in there as well to encourage a bit more football skill type uh, work uh, give them football more, that instinctively they're more likely to sort of kick it because yeah. it's easy to kick their rugby ball yeah. so that was some, some of the things that we would be doing uh, you know and one of the great things I found about it now is when I was a player you were often pigeonholed as a position <laughs> yeah <laughs> Trev you're six foot two your second row. Get yep. your head stuck in there between the props and push. Yeah, like I was. Uh, I, I showed a natural. <laughs> I got rid of the belly at year seven, thanks to the PE. And then yeah. I think they know. I I got quite into my running, middle and long mm-hmm. distance. So it was like open side flanker. There you go. That's yeah. you from year seven to year thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I never got a touch of the ball. Really. And that happened in club rugby. I went to club rugby and I was pretty much second row. All yeah, I, I can see why. Yeah. Trev, to be fair, and I was playing back row. Where everyone does. You get more r- r- running to do, but. Uh, I suppose looking at what going back to my original point was as a second rower 
if you kick that ball on the pitch, everyone's screaming yeah. at you like you made the biggest <laughs> sin ever. You know, it's like, what are you, you're a forward, you don't ever, 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 was, ever kick the ball. I was listening to the commentary of the, uh, the I think it was the Ireland-Japan game last weekend in the Rugby World Cup, yeah. and the Irish commentator on Five Live was going bananas because of that. Yeah. I think an, an Irish forward had picked the ball up and kicked it. Yeah. And uh, it was it was funny listening to be yeah. fair, but yeah, that that was the. I mean, that still is. I guess yeah. taken for granted in some respects. But now, I mean, it's changing. I yeah. mean, they're very much encouraging now, where you're not a prop or you're not a this or you're not a that, because you're kids and you're all developing, you're all growing at different rates. Yeah. You know what your phys- physical makeup's going to be, so you might be more likely to be a low number or a high number. Yeah. You know, and, and be a sort of grey area in the middle there as well. So you know, get the course is very much around giving everyone a real good rounding of skills because you don't know what they're going to spit out at the other end no. and, and what kind of player they're going to be so why not let a forward kick yeah. you know what I mean why not give them the skills so that if they're going up against someone they've got another tool in their tool bag yeah. to, to beat the player well it's interesting uh, you said because you had Phil on did it, Phil Kringle yeah. who's playing at a good level right he's playing tier 2 yeah, so yeah. He's in, yeah he's for he? London Scottish Right, because I mean, I remember Phil mm. at school. I think he was there when I was when I was teaching there, but he was a front row. I'm pretty sure. He's hooker. Yeah. He he plays tighter prop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I just remember being on the front row literally from from day one. Um, mm. But I've seen Phil's football skills as well, so he probably like ended up in the right place. <laughs> <to>, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's no, interesting that they. Yeah. Th- that's the way that the RFU are, are, are teaching that, and then so you said about the. Like the core skills is the first module of the course, is it? Or yeah, it's uh, they try and teach principles of play. Right. So the technical and tactical principles. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's tactical principles of play. So in rugby, it's uh, contest the ball. Yeah. Uh, go forward. Support, which enables more go forward. Yeah. Continuity, uh, and then score a try basically right so they're the attacking principles so they're the attacking principles yeah. uh, in your defensive principles are, are quite similar as well contest the ball yeah uh, I always struggle with the defensive ones <laughs> <laughs> you're still looking to go forward because you're trying to reduce the space for them yeah. to go forward uh, you've still got support as in support your teams to fill the gaps uh, you've got to re- reduce opportunities you're trying to reduce the opportunities yeah. for the opposition to to play uh, and, and pressure, you know, and, and put pressure on the on the opposition. Right. So they try and centre the games around those principles. So you're trying to create a common language. Yep. Uh, that you as coach, as a coaching team, and the players get used to, uh, in order to help them develop those skills in the game. Uh, so rather than sort of breaking down the pass into a really boring drill, you know, they'll. They, they will say pull people out to, okay. do a, to do a skill zone yep. to work on that passing if they feel they need to. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, other than that, get them in the game, give some gene- generic points that everyone might need as well. Yeah. And if someone needs a bit more s- specific support, you know, as a coaching team, and y- you can pull someone out. And that's the other challenge is is that co-coaching. I'm getting. I'm seeing a lot more in rugby. We try to do a lot of co-coaching. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's just you and twenty kids on your own, uh, and you don't always get the opportunity to co-coach, which I think is a real. I think is a bit of a, is a real weakness of coaching. I think the more coaches we can get into an environment where coaches can work together, bounce ideas off each other, uh, 
meet the different needs of the players at different times within the session yeah I think we can help develop the players more effectively so we have uh, development player program sessions now over at the bowl so I'm involved with that which is that we have a sales sharks development player program as a pathway into right. into that and we are blessed we are lucky because we, we were down there the other night and we had probably a team of six coaches with 24 players is this like an elite program then uh well get rid of the word elite sorry yeah <laughs> yeah fine uh, slap on the wrist but it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a pathway yes. it's about, yeah and regardless of whether you get into sale or not it's it's about developing people and giving them uh, but also developing as rugby players okay. so people first and, and players uh, second so are you coaching in that program? so I'm, I'm coaching yeah. that as a, as a as a support coach and it's something I wanted to do to be able to uh, not just be a coach and uh, sports coach and coordinator and who sits in an office I want to get out and, and, and make sure I'm hands on because most of my coaching is in the gym in the strength and conditioning yeah. suite uh, but yeah over, going back to the co-coaching uh, scenario what I like the sales sharks uh, DNA as such has uh, uh, a guy's refereeing the game as a coach and then you might have a, a satellite coach who's orbiting okay. the game and looking at what's going on and giving some, I might pull some people out here and there, and, and, and get a few different coaching principles across, and talk to people while the game's going on. And then you might have a microscope coach who, who will really sort of get in uh, to key people, pull them out, go through some real specific stuff with them that they might have identified that they might be struggling with in the game, and then send them back in and see how they get on with that. So. You know, it's it's a real coaching team effort. Yeah, everyone working together with different roles. So that's interesting because yeah. that I think that's something that traditionally we don't do, haven't done very well in football. I can't talk for the uh, professional environments, but in grassroots, you know, I see a lot of it, and I see a lot of, um, I guess, coaching pairs. But it's very much there's a hierarchy of dominance there. Yeah, where one will take the lead and another one might be responsible for picking up and putting down cones right. and you just think this, we, could, we could do this better like, so what's the planning process that you go through then because I can imagine that's quite complicated with a team of six of you and, how, and 20 so, players did you say? yeah about 24 players so what happened is we've got a, we've got a head coach yep. for the group so we're all under 14s we use Seth Waterworth uh, so Seth will set the, the session plan yep. send it out to the guys on a WhatsApp how, how, how long in advance? Uh, days maybe okay. more than that yep. you know uh, the principles are that we, we're trying to get across are built in the sales sharks DNA okay so they'll have lowered they've got a big bank of different games to meet different principles of play and different skills that we're looking to try and achieve settle and pick one that we're going to work on for that particular session do a session plan around it send it out we get to then if we're not sure about anything, have a chat on WhatsApp and make sure we're going into that session. We know what we're doing. Right. Uh, so, Seth, he'll be the lead, but then we'll all share roles on, on the actual evening and, and mix it up. So, one will be refereeing, one will be satellite, one will be helicopter, one will be yeah. microscope, and then we might do six minutes of a particular skill or game and then switch the roles around so we're getting used to doing different things. I see. And, that, yeah. and that's all those roles are... the 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 parameters of those roles are, are sort of defined beforehand of you know who can a microscope coach yeah. work with 
or who does the orbital coach you know what what is their role that that's kind of predefined and everyone understands it is it uh to a degree yeah yeah we'll say we're just finding our feet we've only literally just had the first session okay right so yeah so we're finding our feet with it but effectively yeah we'll you'll be you'll be assigned a role as who's what or and then change that around yeah. so everyone's getting it from a coaching development perspective you're not you're not just picking up cones and setting up a pitch no you are getting an experience of different types of coaching and then we'll review the session at the end and feedback into yeah it. well the, the reason why i ask is there's a there's an amazing video um in fact there's if you if you look and you've got a good filter there's there's so much good stuff out there for coaches but there's a really good video i recommend um on youtube and it's professor chris cushion uh, so he's professor of um, coaching and pedagogy. I'm going to get. I hope that's right. Anyway, apologies, Chris, if it's not uh, at Loughborough. And he, it's a. I think it's about a 50 minute um, presentation from a Gaelic Games conference in Ireland a few years ago. If you just type in Chris Cushion G A A on YouTube, you'll find it. It's uh, it's well shot, so it, it it's visually good. But the, there's some gold in there. And one of the things that he talks about which I fully agree with is um, coaches are we we tend to and especially at that level there's a there's a pretty detailed plan of what the players are going to do mm-hmm. but then where where's the plan for what the coaches do yeah. he, he calls it or do we just shoot from the hip do we just kind of react and respond and, yeah. and, and, and so he makes a really good argument that actually in your coaching plan um, yeah, the X's and O's are absolutely fine, but on the other half of the paper, literally t- turn the paper in half and plan what are you going to do. Yeah. So, at this game at this point, what what am I going to do? I might say nothing. I might observe. Okay, where am I going to observe from? Uh, what am I looking for? Um, if if I if I'm a coach who believes that questions and and well timed and cleverly worded questions are important, I should probably get probably plan those because it's very difficult to yeah. generate questions that promote thought and learning yeah. off the hip unless you're very very experienced so and I I, I, it, I watched this a few years ago now and it really got me thinking about being more conscious of what am I actually doing while the players are taking part in, in the session yeah. and, and being more conscious of beforehand flipping it over to stopping worrying about what the players are going to do and actually being more concerned with who do I need to speak to uh, who might I who, who do I need to kind of check in with because you, you get a finite amount of time with them and so yeah. the impact that you have or what you do with that time and yourself is it, it's really important and it, it, you've got to do it well because how many how many sure. hours do you get with the sale lads we've got about an hour and a quarter in a week in a month in a month yeah so they do the club rugby and yeah. they come and once a month they'll come and so that I mean, that has got yeah. to be like military style precision to get the most out sure. of that time hasn't it yeah yeah you've got to get as much bang for your book as you can mm-hmm. and, and make that session as purposeful as possible yeah. so uh, I mean like we are talking about acronyms before the RFU acronym is APES I've so, heard this go on what's yeah, that stand for again active purposeful enjoyable and safe yeah so make your session if you can nail all them in your session you've done alright yeah I think uh Hockey, England hockey have got something similar that they've called the golden, golden thread. thread. Yeah, yeah. That, that's and again, that's a really uh, interesting, useful, free document that coaches can just pull off the internet. Yeah. And there's some really uh, decent principles, I think, 
uh, behind you know regardless of whether you're a hockey coach or not wh- yeah. whatever sport you work in there's some great stuff in there I think it really is we had Danny Newcomb over oh, yeah. for our coaching festival yeah. uh, we come across Danny and Scott McNeil who basically rewrote the hockey uh, coach education yeah. system and they were going through some sessions on constraints like coaching and creating effective learning environments but uh, the golden thread stuff yeah absolutely trans- transcends hockey but it was very similar to the to rugby's cards yes I've heard that as yeah, well so that's the another acronym yeah. <laughs> uh, players who are creative uh, aware awareness uh, resilient uh, good decision makers and can self organise so that was the, the acronym for that and you know that, try and figure out how I can work on those skills of the players and highlight those skills of the players in the session uh, and, and create those opportunities is, is quite key yeah, I quite like that that one from from rugby from cards. You just reminded me of something of uh, <laughs> recently where I was watching um, uh, a young girl get kind of challenged with her her spellings, and the um, I was watching. So it was like, what 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 does this say? And it, there was like maybe a couple of seconds of silence, and then the answer or the prompt for the answer would come. And I think we're we're very keen to um we don't like silence as coaches no. so you you said there about uh what was the the decision makers or resilience so the cut in the cards acronym yeah so awareness was uh, resilient decision makers and self-organizing self-organizing yeah, yeah. yeah. so we we we're not very good with chaos or disorganization as, mm-hmm. as coaches we're quite neat and tidy and there's that um i think we need to get more comfortable with providing those moments where or asking a question, not necessarily for the answer, just uh, you know, for the question's sake, just to uh, think. Prim- yeah, plant a seed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just reminded me of that. That we, I don't know if it's a Western culture thing that we want. We want the answers now. We want yeah. the shortcuts now because you know it's this kind of race to the bottom. Um, that we've, everything's got to be done sooner. Mm. And yeah, no. it's just me on a on a, on a flying <laughs> tangent there, Trevor. Apologies. It's okay. <laughs> Well, coming up to about well, 45 minutes, so we'll probably a bit of round things up uh, as well. So we'll be getting on for one of our longest episodes, Jack. I know, I can ramble, I didn't want to that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you're up there with Damien Hughes on our first episode. Oh, it's it good company, good. yeah, I can't, can't unfit to lace his boots, but um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in uh, like what, what you've got going on here, because it's been a while since I've been back, so what's, uh, what sort of coach development uh, things have you got going on over here that I can steal some ideas right. from? Well, I mean, me personally, some of the initiatives that I've been running, uh, we've been doing breakfast clubs quarterly. So trying to bring, for me, I think it's important to try and bring coaches from different sports together. Agree. You know, we've got loads of people doing really good stuff in different clubs, uh, but we don't always know about it. So we can bring coaches together to sort of talk about what they're doing and getting up to and sharing those ideas and perhaps uh, offering someone a different lens to look through for their own sport is, is a really good way of uh, uh, sort of challenging what, what we normally do. So that's, uh, we've had a sort of around about 11 coaches coming to that each time. So what, what sort of time in the morning is it? Early Saturday or Sunday morning, okay, so eight weekend, o'clock, right. yeah, eight o'clock till about half past nine. So then you can get off and go and do your sport for the weekend. Okay, uh, so get the sausage baths on. So you put the food on. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. We go around. We've been going around the, the island with it. So we've been at Douglas. We've been at Ramsey Rugby Club, Colby Football Club, 
uh, Peel Golf Club and just trying to mix up the venues and we've had a, a sort of regular cohort of people who've travelled around yeah. by going to different regions would enable people who perhaps have found it a struggle to travel to come to something that happens on the doorstep yeah. as well so that's been really good uh, so what, what like what does that look like then so you get these guys together for what hour an hour and a half hour and a half yeah so what, what we try to do we've had a, a bit of a, two different approaches yeah sometimes we've had like a, 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 a guest coach present okay so we had John White and present from hockey you actually present on Golden Thread okay because he'd been through the advanced coaching program with, ho- with England Hockey yeah uh, we had Martin Bullock give a really interesting perspective from motorsport so he, he manages a motorsport team for Max Grand Prix so we looked at his sort of psychological approach to uh, preparing riders and bikes and the sort of multidisciplinary approach with the different mechanics to look at how you can get the bike to work different tactics for different races okay. with the example of Caroline Sells the female who won Max Grand Prix oh, I didn't know that yeah okay. and she did it on one tank of fuel Wow, <laughs> which now you have to do a pit stop but prior to that they thought how can we beat the game which is another rugby yeah. thing how can we beat the game so they looked at what, how they could modify the advantage. bike within the rules uh, and get Caroline to tactically ride the course so that she can serve enough fuel to be able to get round on one tank of fuel and she did it wow so I'll have to look into the, that the look on everyone's face when everyone thought she was going to come in and pit and she <laughs> didn't <laughs> amazing uh, so that was Martin uh, we also had John Kane from boxing he, he did a, a talk on, on uh, I suppose he, he had three different principles let's see if I can remember what they are what, what they are uh, I don't do what I always I don't do what I've always done or what what we've done in the past. Yeah. And gave the example of uh, oh, it was brilliant the boxing club when he first went to a boxing club in Liverpool, and the guy had loads of numbers of kids. I thought I can't coach this many kids; it's too many. So the the guy's approach was right, guys, we're sparring tonight. So thirty kids would all be sparring, and then the next week will come along and there'd maybe be about twenty two kids. Right lads, we're sparring tonight. <laughs> so they'll all be sparring the next week. It'll be about 16 kids. He got down to about 10 kids. So, right, we can do some coaching now. Survival of the fittest. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. And John was like, That's the way you it know was. what? That, yeah. that, that, that was how things were when I was yeah, a kid, yeah. but we can't do that. I said, so he said, I was coaching in Jersey and there was a kid there. If we'd used that approach, would never have, uh, have got through. Yeah. Yet with a bit of nurturing and providing the right environment for him, he managed to stick with the sport, love the sport, and develop and do quite well. Mm. So you know you're missing out on on so many people who would really love that sport by having that, that sort of approach. Uh, and, and you know, and you got to work with what you've got, which is other yeah. other golden rule. Because uh, on the Isle of Man, especially in boxing, you got a very small talent pool. You've, you haven't got many people coming in, so the level of uh, the amount of competition that you're getting exposed to in training is limited. So if you've got like a gym with 20 boxers in, uh, let's you gave the example of three boxers of, of, of slightly different weight categories, different ages, and different experiences and different abilities. How can I get these guys ready for their next? Yeah, fight? because there's not the opportunity yeah. to spar against someone the same weight as you necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. So how does he do it then? Well, he had one guy who was boxing for Commonwealth Games another guy who was a junior but was uh, probably about 15 14, 15, 16 something like that but was uh, looking to get to Commonwealth Youth Games and was doing well regionally in the ABAs and another another senior fighter a little bit heavier 
lot, not much in the way of experience, but uh, so, so how can I, how can I get them to work together? So his solution was to have the experienced fighter who was pretty tasty, getting ready for the Commonwealth Games to be sparring and cycle the other guys in. Oh, all right. You know what I mean? Yep. So he knew, obviously, assessed the ability of the younger boxer who was trying to get ready for Commonwealth Youth Games later on. Uh, I could put him in for two minutes with this guy and then bring the, other, the older guy in who was fresh one, and then put him in for two okay. minutes. So uh, they're, they're fresh. They've got enough energy and wits about them to be able to put pressure on the other boxer because they know they're going to get a break. Whereas the experienced boxer isn't getting Straight, a break, yeah. so he's getting re- he's getting a real test. Okay. You know that that was his sort of innovative solution with minimal people. A bit different from when really he started, good. then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so these these coach development sessions that you that you do. So you said you got roughly around eleven meet once a quarter. Yeah. So you get guest speakers in, but then is there any? Do they go off and do anything? to come back with that's the challenge uh, at the minute yeah is, is actually well how can we try and get some sort of actions out of that yeah. and I think that's the, the next progression for it really is to see how can we make that more meaningful you know of an experience so we've come in we've shared some ideas well we need to start how, how can we uh, encourage them to have an action plan from that yeah. and then feedback as to how they've got on and do you do they communicate as a group do you, is there any sort of channels Outside that they keep that, the conversation uh, going as a group of coaches? Perhaps informally, but I, I, yeah. well, I couldn't tell you at the moment. Uh, one thing that has come about from the podcasts, we have four female coaches in from uh, various sports, judo, athletics, swimming and netball. Okay. Now they have, we, we set up like a little WhatsApp group so I could get information to them. So they've kept that WhatsApp group now yeah. and they're going to each other's coaching sessions to watch each other coach they're going to meet up informally as well have a glass of wine and talk about coaching so that's provided an opportunity for some sort of continued communication between that group and perhaps that's what needs to happen now for that breakfast club Mm. well if they're interested and you know exclusive for you here we're doing a big uh, female coaches night I think we Fingers crossed it's confirmed. Apologies if it's not Wayne, but um, at Anfield on uh, the, I think, Friday the 15th of November. I think that's the day. It's basically the WSL, uh, the Women's Super League, Merseyside Derby is on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to put on a female uh, coaches networking evening. But not, not it's obviously going to be football-led, uh, yeah. but not necessarily football-heavy. So we want to try and encourage f- coaches, female coaches from all sports yeah. around the area, Liverpool. But you know, if they were, if they wanted to come over um, and, and come to the event, just keep an eye out on the, the Liverpool FA uh, social channels for, for information. But that, yeah, that's coming up soon. <laughs> we're, we're hoping to get a really, really good. Uh, line up on the panel yeah. so yeah that, that that's something to, to look forward to I think it's important that those um, events if you like or the, you know the breakfast clubs they, they're not just kind of one off that it's a nice little shot in the arm and then yeah. nothing's done with it. it it's getting ever more and more easier to communicate and to org- I mean, look at us now yeah. this probably wouldn't have happened 10-15 years ago you, you and I having this conversation be- because of how easy it is to communicate. So you've seen a yeah. post that I've put up and half an hour later we're sat in here having a coffee and a chat and then it's going to go out to however many hundred or thousand people. And I think we need, 
as a coaching community, we need to embrace that aspect of communication more yeah. and to share stuff more because there is there is so much good stuff out there and there's, there is so many good people out there who are ac so accessible. I don't think people necessarily realise that. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of other things that we'll be doing now, we're on our second year of our coaching festival as well. Okay. So we we've, last year we had... John Fletcher, former England rugby under-18s coach, come over and do some master classes and talk. Uh, we had uh, Cameron Vile, who's a UK coaching tutor, come over and do some new UK coaching workshops as yeah. well. So we're trying to offer some, some stuff that we've not had on the Isle of Man before, really. So we repeated that this year. We had, we had Danny and Scott over from hockey. Uh, we had John Mills, who's from uh, British Cycling, for formerly, come over and deliver some workshops as well. So that's... That's going down quite well. Yeah. Uh, we're getting some good turnouts there, some really good educational opportunities. Uh, so we're looking at how we can sort of expand that going forward. Um, going back to what you said just there, how can we, we track back and look at how that's impacting? Because that's the big massive thing to look at. How, how are these opportunities impacting on what coaches are actually doing? Yeah. Well, and that's what I like about what you do because you are, you know, I see a lot of, you You kind of embrace the online stuff and, you know, you're, you're quite on the front foot and sharing stuff out there of what's going on yeah. and quite forward thinking and creative. But you, you still, you're still a coach, aren't you? You know, you're a, you, you, your job is sports development, but you still get your hands dirty and yeah. are still at the coalface. I think that's important, yeah, because I think it's easy to sit in a, ivory tower in an office somewhere and not have a real understanding of what people are actually experiencing yeah. and have an understanding and empathy for their scenarios and situations yeah so well, I mean it, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here cause it sounds like, <laughs> thanks Jack um, uh, it sounds like you know you've got we, I'm killing your time here aren't we can hit but I'm going to get warmed up here sorry a two part. Um, yeah we, uh, you've had a, it sounds like you've had some real exposure to some high quality people that have probably challenged the way you think and do so what like because it's been a while since I've seen you so what, what have you changed in your coaching okay uh, or what, what have you what have you changed your mind about well to look back at my coaching in the past I was very much probably a Mr Tell 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 as you know, quite a lot of us are still uh, wanting to fill those gaps wanting to fill those silences mm. which we, we were talking about earlier uh, so now I'm, I'm probably much more of a trying to enable thinking to take place ask more key questions of, of, of the athletes who I work with or the players who I work with uh, but I suppose what's transformed my coaching more now is looking less at the X's and O's and looking at more around the relationships and how to communicate better with people. Uh, very much, especially in the gym, this particular technique for an exercise, this is the reps and sets that you've got to do to achieve whatever it is you're going to do. Mm. But what's the use in having all that technical knowledge of not, <coughs> not able to communicate and make it exciting and interesting for, for the athlete? Similarly, on the rugby pitch, you know, it's all very well knowing all, all, all the tactics and all the techniques of how to do stuff, but if I can't get it across to them... Stuff, call Lex to reception, please, Lex to reception. Come on, Lex. Thank you. <laughs> in, in a fun, an interesting way uh, where I can really connect with them and, and, and sort of uh, 
enjoy that relationship so that you know that they feel that they're invested and interested in and, and so enables enables me to get more out of them mm. in the session have you come across uh, dr brian Geraghty? i haven't no you given the gym store i think he i hope i get this right but um he is uh at a big university in the states and he came over and delivered a keynote at the the cluster for research into coaching conference the crick conference down at Worcester um, last month and uh, he, he talked of a similar sort of journey to yourself he's a strength and conditioning coach okay. um, but I think yeah his work is you'd probably find very interesting I'll look him up yeah sure. yeah but it's it, yeah uh, it's funny you say that because I, I w- was thinking about uh, my own coaching and I'd say so something happened this summer that um, hasn't happened in a, in a while uh, and that was I kept and it's probably the thing I'm when I think about it now I'm probably the most proud of in in my whole coaching journey which is you know 20 odd years now and that was I kept we had it our, our, our boys were a squad of 19 boys 19 under 15s last season mm-hmm. and all 19 are, are still playing this season so we've had nobody drop out Brilliant. nobody uh, yeah move, move to you know anywhere else and this isn't a very successful in inverted commas team in terms of win loss record or points mm-hmm. quite the opposite actually but yeah think about it you, you, to keep 19 boys playing football mm-hmm. um, from one year to the next is yeah I think you, you've got to have that relationship yeah. you, you, yeah, I, I, I definitely. I mean, you've asked the question, what what's changed the most? I'm, I think I'm much more about developing people rather than developing a sports person. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I just think uh, going back to the record rooms, rugby's got treads, which is uh, uh, <laughs> just to keep up with all these uh, teamwork, respect, enjoyment, uh, discipline, and sportsmanship. Right. So if I can try and help develop really, 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 really good people who've got really good values and behaviours. I suppose a bit like Mr. Smith and yep. uh, Mr. McGregor would be doing, mm. uh, and the byproduct of that is is they're going to be hardworking, resilient, focused. Uh, they're going to enjoy what they're doing, and, and if they then become successful or carry on playing sport at whatever level they do, mm. then that's success. So, is there a particular me. athlete or player that you've coached in your? Lifespan that you're most proud of. All oh, right, crikey! Now you're talking. <laughs> I couldn't think of, you just pick one. Uh, or, or more. I'll not, I can't name a name okay. on this one because uh, for for personal reasons. But there is there is a one young lad who I met through a different guys and a different role that I had, and this particular young lad. Uh, he was, he was sort of struggling with the school environment at the time, so we were doing a lot of focus work with him, sort of in one-to-one sessions to try and improve his self-esteem and confidence, uh, so that he could uh, re- better re-engage with school, you know, because he, he was struggling there. And what I love about this now is, is this player now, this lad, he, he, he's re-engaging with school completely. I mean, he wouldn't, didn't even want to cross the threshold and go into school. He's now he's back in the school environment. He's doing well. He's really enjoying it. He's uh, 
loving his sport that much now. He's, he's gone through onto different pathway sessions and is accessing some great coaching in, in his chosen sport. Uh, you know, he's, he's been off op- open opportunities for him as well via other academies as well. So I don't want to name name the academies mm. that he's involved with or anything like that. But for me to see someone go from being very vulnerable and really sort of on the verge of potentially becoming uh, a ghost to sport, to pinch a phrase that Paul uh, Jones uses uh, a lot, uh, and someone who could, who could quite easily have, uh, have just gone in a completely another direction, to see them a real happy, functioning teenager who's, who's loving sport, loving school, loving life, and, and, and making good relationships with people. That that for me would be mm. my most, I suppose, the most proudest thing I could, I could see as a coach. Yeah, for sure. I imagine the coach of Tyrone Mings. I don't know if you've heard of Tyrone. He plays for Aston Villa, but right. he just got his first England senior call up yesterday. Um, at, I guess a, a later age than mm-hmm. uh, than many would, and you know his developmental journey. I won't go into it, but it was involved, um, you know, homeless shelters, mm-hmm. and you know he's he's come through what was, seemed like quite a turbulent upbringing and now he's got the opportunity to represent his country at, mm. at first team level yeah it's pretty inspiring stuff absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and like you say it's, it's it's great just to see people uh for me just be be good people yeah <laughs> being decent guys decent blokes decent girls you know people who uh uh contributing positively to the community and that's massive for me regardless of what level they might end up playing at mm. i think if if you're in the business of developing good people and you're using sport as the vehicle to do that, then brilliant. You know, I, I, I suppose that's how, where I like to see myself as a coach. Yeah. Mm. yeah good. Good. So uh, we probably better round up there, Jack. <laughs> uh, I told uh, you I could, yeah. could ramble. Uh, so I really, really appreciate you coming in at really short notice and contributing to our, no our podcast. No problem. Uh, we've had some great. What is the name of the podcast there? so that anyone listening to Liverpool FA yeah. might want to? It's just the Isle of Man Sport podcast. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone wants to sign up, we are on YouTube. We put it out on YouTube. Oh, do you? Yeah. You can also check it out on the Isle of Man Sport.com website. Can you not download it on the podcast app? Uh, that's something me and Paul Callow are looking into at the moment to try and get it on something like iTunes or something. I can like help that. you with that. It's yeah. Really easy. Fab. Once you set up, it's one click. Super easy. Duper. Yeah. And then hopefully we can reach a, a wider audience then as well. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, thanks for for your time coming in. Yeah, thanks for because you're going to use this for your own. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll rip the audio pop, off and yeah, pop, yeah. It's a good excuse to to get something out. I've been dormant for a while, so definitely. Yeah. You know, again, it spreads uh, the news of what's going on on the Isle of Man to, to further afield. So yeah, there's some great brilliant. great stuff going on. No, thanks, mate. I appreciate the uh, the invite. It was. Um, mm. Yeah, it's good to see you again, and next we'll have to get you across to Liverpool at some point. You'll have to let us know if you're over, and we'll do do a round two. For sure. See if we can link it up with a new, uh, an Ocean Call Three concert. Definitely, well. right, definitely. <laughs> good stuff. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.